Hello, and welcome to OK But How, a narrative-style podcast where the main focus are the authentic stories of students and professionals in their field. My name is Sydney, like Australia, and I'll be your host and narrator. Here at OBH, we hope to bring you podcasts you can enjoy, study, and emulate. Hello, and welcome back to OBH. Like always, we are going to start off by highlighting a content creator and professional that provides a unique insight and advice about medicine. Dr. Megan Jenkins-Turner, DO, also known as Curly Surgeon, shares her experience as a general surgery resident through video and blog-like posts. You can find her at Curly Surgeon on IG, TikTok, and Twitter. I personally love watching her laparoscopy practice videos and learning from her firsthand experience as a surgical resident. She talks about going unmatched, provides resources about mentorship, and frequently answers community questions about the complicated process. We will link her social media in the show notes. And now let's get into this week's podcast. Our guest today is student doctor Desiree Ojo, but most people know her as Des. She is a graduate of Texas Tech University Health Science Center and has her master's in public health and public administration. She was a 2022 Rankin Scholar and is active with Nth Dimensions, a nonprofit organization empowering women and underrepresented minorities in medicine. During the week, you can find her at her favorite coffee shop, typing away on her laptop while drinking a matcha latte with almond milk and two pumps of lavender, or paddleboarding on a lake right around 7 a.m. so she can watch the sunrise. On weekends, she enjoys traveling, exploring new cities, reading poetry, trying unique cuisine, new restaurants, journaling in her hammock, and taking candid pictures with her Polaroid camera. She's a sucker for outside concerts, a nice high-intensity interval training workout, live music, barilla tacos on a Saturday night, and when she's not studying, observing in the operating room, or writing a paper, she is a part-time professional shower singer. Hello, everyone. Very nice to be here on OK, but how? With my colleague, Sid Vangeli. It's such a pleasure. It's so, so cool, like, being able to be a part of this project. Very cool. Very I proud am. of you, Sid. <laughs> Very happy you're here to do this. It's a great honor to have the Desiree. No, I am honored. <laughs> the Vangeli, the Sid. If there is one thing Des should be known for, it's her kindness and willing to hype and help everybody she knows. But a close second is her persistent hard work, which she says stems from one of her greatest influences growing up. I was raised by a single mother, so my mom was everything to me. My only parent raised me and my brother, and from her, I really, from a young age, really understood and got to observe firsthand work ethic. That woman worked, put herself through school, came here by herself from Nigeria in the 80s, worked at a McDonald's while she was in college, paid her own tuition, worked her way up to being an accountant, being able to provide for my brother and I. And just firsthand was my, my mother by, by far, how she just worked relentlessly and did everything herself. What did your worldview look like? My worldview, I feel like this experience is very standard across the board for all first-gen Americans from Nigerian parents, you had three options. Be a doctor, be an accountant, 
or be a lawyer. <laughs> Luckily, when I was young, I like always knew I wanted to be a scientist. When I was, I remember being in like daycare and like, you know how they have like the pictures of like the firefighter on the wall and like the chemist and the police officer, like, you know, the career type stuff. And I just remember seeing this woman in like a lab coat, like holding like a beaker with like some green fizzly stuff in it. I was like, oh man, that looks cool. That was kind of the plan was like science. And at the time I told everyone like I wanted to make vaccines and create cures for things like that. But, but my sphere of influence, I knew that what I chose to do had to be something of magnitude, I think, something powerful. The belief in herself that she was capable of making a difference came from positive influences during her childhood. I think my mom, like, she always just spoke so much power into me in a way. And I think a lot of that came from when she was a young adult. There was just no ability for her to communicate as regularly with her family in Nigeria. So she she came to the United States by herself. And I can assume that she did most of that alone. Like, you know, had friends and, of course, people who were here, but didn't have that, like, family support, you know, people to carry her. And I think my mom, as a result, did that a lot, a lot, so much with me. And that's not something I even really realized until just now talking to you. So, so yeah, she spoke a lot of power into me. So when entering college, how did you view that sort of system and kind of what you wanted to do, knowing that you wanted to be that scientist, you wanted to be working with things like that? Mm-hmm. How did it feel entering college? Oh, college, I feel like I felt kind of lost, especially like my first year and halfway through like my second year. I had always had the goals that I told you about, like being a scientist and all that stuff, which was was the plan. Like no med talk in med school or anything. That was not my like plan as a college student. I knew what I wanted to do, I feel like, but I didn't know how to get there. I think that's something I'm realizing now is like how important mentorship is. No one in my family, like, you know, my mom, sometimes I have to explain to her what I'm doing now. You know, like when I did work in a lab, she'd be like, oh, what are you doing again? Clinical something? I'm like, I'm just a scientist in a lab, mom. Like, just tell people that. I knew what I wanted to do, but I just didn't have, I had, I didn't know how to get there. I didn't know who to ask. I didn't know any of that stuff. Did you receive any mentorship or guidance specifically in STEM at that time? No, I should have been, though. Like when I think back about it, I'm like, man, why wasn't I in like I remember in high school, there were kids who walked around in scrubs like I just was never a part of that for whatever reason. I'm not sure. To be honest, I think for a large bit of my life, I thought I was going to play collegiate sports, like play basketball at the collegiate level. And uh, so when I started high school, I was in I played basketball I was on the basketball team for two years. And I was also on the drum line. Uh, me and a couple of my friends were like the first freshmen to like ever be on the drum line for the first time. And I just got really, really involved in marching band. It was just like, wow, this is like my whole life now. I think extracurriculars played a very big role in like my formation as a person and as a high school student. Because of that, I was just very like focused on those things and like didn't really see anything else. So what did you pursue during undergrad and what kind of shaped your decision to pursue that major? I got my bachelor's degree in clinical laboratory science. And so it was a two and two program at the Texas Tech Health Sciences Center. So I did two years um, at the academic campus and then spent my last two years at the Texas Tech Health Sciences Center with like a cohort of about 20 students that were selected to be in the program. Took microbiology classes, bacteriology, clinical chemistry, 
a lot of very specific classes to clinical laboratory science. And then graduated, had to sit for a, like a board exam, and then became like a certified clinical laboratory scientist to work in a lab and all that stuff. My next move from there in laboratory science was I started graduate school during my first year working as like a real adult, as they say, like in the lab. And so I applied to be in the Texas Tech's Master of Public Health program. So I thought that would be helpful for like what I want to do with vaccines and things like that. Also have a master's in public administration. Did you get that around the same time? Yeah. After my first year, they started a dual master's program. And one of my mentors, uh, Dr. Lisa Gittner, she's a, she was our health policy professor. She was just like, all you would need were, are six more classes to get another master's. And I was just like, why not? You know, <laughs> like, why not? That's what I ended up doing because health policy was one of my favorite classes. And my mentor, like I said, she, that was her domain. And she did a really good job of talking me into getting the double masters and the healthcare admin track and all that stuff. How did you get connected with your mentor? very unofficial. She was one of my professors, just loved all of her classes, would always sit in the front row. Everything she said was interesting to me. I don't even think if she knows she's my mentor, like there was no official, (laughs) there was no official like, okay, hey, would you like to be my mentor? I just kind of like followed her around everywhere (laughs) type of thing. And yeah, she gave some wonderful advice. So that was a two-year program and I started that. And then at the end of my first year, I went on my first global health trip to Nicaragua. I was with nursing students and nurse practitioners and we set up clinics and like helped people in the communities there. Like we partnered with the church. And so we'd sleep at the church and then take this bus, like two, three hour bus ride to somewhere on the outskirts of the city and like just set up a clinic and people would just come. And it was then that I was just like, the medicine stuff seems really cool. Like what would this look like for me as someone who's already graduated and still needs to take classes and how would I accomplish this? And it really did not seem possible at the time. That's kind of when medicine started to be like, huh, I kind of like this and have no idea how I'm gonna get there from here, but I can figure it out. After the medical mission trip, student Dr. Ojo began the steps to finishing medical school prerequisites. She balanced completing her classes with working and applying for fellowship programs. Another testament to her hard work and dedication. I started taking those extra classes I needed, like OCHEM. I took a physics one and physics two, OCHEM one and two. And I think those were the only extra classes that I needed because a lot of my clinical laboratory science counted as things and as well as the like prerequisites I had to take to get into that program. So yeah, I was taking classes while I was working the night shift in the lab and going to grad school. So it was a lot. (laughs) Like that time period definitely took a couple years off my life. But I mean, definitely very like formative, hard work kind of stuff that I that I had to do. And and even then, like even when I was about to graduate graduate school, I still applied for for healthcare administration fellowship. I, you know, the plan was not to like start taking the MCAT or to like anything like that. But it wasn't until I interviewed for that program and made it all the way to the end stages, like thought like I was in, like went to Chicago and like had the interview and like it was really, really nice. And I had a great experience there. But at the end of the day, I didn't end up getting the fellowship position. And so it was then I was just like, I'm about to graduate grad school. I don't have a fellowship position. What am I going to do? And so I had a sit down conversation with one of my closest friends, Micah, who his plan was always to go to medical school. 
And then somewhere along the way, he did graduate a biomedical sciences master's and realized it wasn't for him. And so I had a sit down conversation with him and he was just really like, you just need to take off work and study for the MCAT and see what happens. And I was just like, okay, uh, <laughs> okay. And so that was what I did. I took off work for three, four months, studied at Starbucks on 98th Street in Lubbock, Texas for three, four months and took the MCAT and just applied and was just like, where I get in is where I'm going to go. And if I don't get in, I don't know what's going to happen, but hopefully I do. And we'll see, we'll see where this all takes me. Although she ultimately chose to pursue medicine, her master's in public health and public administration had a profound impact on her. I think getting a master's in public health and in public administration, those degrees truthfully like made me a better person. Understanding like there is a reason why things are the way they are. There's always an underlying reason for the systemic things that happen in our society and like to always be curious about those things. My master's in public health and my master's in public administration like really helped me be an investigator, staying curious about things. I think it really gave me like a good foundation of how to be empathetic and why we should continue to be empathetic because a lot of things that are systemic that happen in our society, you know, they're not just that way because someone chooses to be that way or people don't want to work or there's always an underlying reason for the most part you know not always but for the most part and and to pay attention to those things so moving back towards like medical school in that path when you decided like i'm gonna do this i'm gonna apply for medical school did you tailor your resume or any of your experiences to kind of fit what is expected of a medical student i don't think so all of my experiences that i'd had through grad school and through working those were all kind of like they just happened to like fall into that category. Yeah, I don't really think I t- tailored my my application in any way. I was just like very honest about my passions with healthcare and health policy and how I kind of took a very jagged path to to medicine. Yeah, hopefully those things made me stand out or made me a unique applicant in a way. But yeah, no, I don't think I tailored my application in any way. I was just I was very honest about everything. So what were those passions that you really tried to emphasize in your application? At the time, I had a lot of experiences in serving the underserved and vulnerable populations. I mean, even in Lubbock, Texas, like working in a very rural area where we would get patients from like the closest town because we were the biggest city within a six hour radius. The next biggest city from Lubbock was Dallas. And it was like we would get kind of all the like not so great stuff that would happen um, in the surrounding rural West Texas cities um, in that area. I did a lot with the lab as far as like training new laboratory scientists in graduate school. I went to Nicaragua. I also went to Costa Rica. I did a humanitarian project with, with an organization there called La Fundación Humanitaria. Did a lot of cool things with them and that was an incredible experience. I spent a month there, stayed with the host family, But yeah, a lot of my projects had been tailored to like quality improvement, how to improve systems, how to make things better for the populations that get left behind, things like that. And and hopefully I can continue to be a person who still cares about those things and a doctor who can implement those things into wherever I go and wherever I practice. You decided to apply for medical school. Mm -hmm. Uh, What were some of the barriers um, that you faced while applying during the process or before? 
I wouldn't really say money was a barrier because I was working at the time. And so it was helpful, but it was a really expensive process, <laughs> like taking the MCAT, paying to get my transcripts, paying for all the applications. I applied both MD and DO, so that was like a lot of money. <laughs> but yeah, I would say I would say money was a pretty big barrier. I also didn't have a lot of letters of rec from doctors. Um, a lot of my letters of rec were from my professors through my graduate program. I hadn't had a lot of like one-on-one -on -one contact with actual physicians. So I think that was probably another barrier for me as well. What influenced your decision to apply MD and DO? To kind of cast my net wide. In my eyes at the time, it was just kind of like, we are going to do this and give it all we have. No stone left unturned. We're applying everywhere. We're applying to everything. We're doing it. And if it doesn't work out, then it was not meant to work out. And if it does, maybe it was meant to work out. So I just kind of like just shot my shot with everything. Seems like you were very knowledgeable about the process. You're applying to both allopathic and osteopathic. Did you receive any guidance from somebody who had done the process before or during the process? I would say the person that guided me the most was my friend, Micah. I had seen him go through the process twice. He was kind of the person that I like went to. It was like TMD, SAS, and like then also applying through AMCAS. And then I don't remember what the DO. It's like AA comas or something. Yes, yes, yes. Then applying through that, which was something that I found out at a much later, like I think I did some research or something and was just like, oh, I can apply to like DO schools through like a whole different service. So then I did that like December or something, kind of late, but I was just like, I'm just shoot my shot and, and see where, see where it lands. Did you have any other mentors that wasn't like on a peer to peer level that helped you decide that you wanted to go to medical school? No, I didn't. I really didn't. <laughs> I think talking with you just made me realize how I just like kind of put a bandana around my eyes and was just like, we're gonna just, that's, I mean, cause that, that's kind of what I did. I really didn't have any physician mentors that I like talked about with any of this. My biggest mentor would be my friend Micah and my health policy professor. <laughs> so speaking on that, what did your support system look like and how did they best support you during the process? My support system was definitely my family and my closest friends. And they, they just supported me blindly. Like, even though I didn't know what I was doing, they're like, go for it. Why not? Being a physician was like, it just seemed that was the next step. I loved my job in the lab and like loved everyone that I worked with. But there was this point where I was just like, man, like I really like being with patients. You know, like I really like talking to people. All of my um, coworkers were like super supportive and like, threw me a party on my last day when I got accepted and I told everyone. So yeah, I had a really good support system. I had no idea what I was doing, but <laughs> everyone was very supported and blindly trusted. Even with a strong support system, student Dr. Ojo still experienced imposter syndrome. Although the internet can be immensely helpful during this uncertain process, the comparison between yourself and anonymous users can affect your confidence. There was like a small point in time where I was like on Reddit. You know, people were like, oh, I got to... 526 or 520 whatever whatever the highest scores are or whatever and I got all these interviews and blah 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 I'm just like all right and then that's just when like the comparison game comes in I was just like I need to just stay off of this thing and just wait for you know interview calls and interview emails and all that stuff and just staying away from comparing myself to other people I, I feel like that's when the noises in your head kind of start to get louder is when 
you know, you start comparing yourself to other people. Being on Reddit, I think, was like when the imposter syndrome was at its worst, for sure. And you had in-person <clears throat> interviews, right? Mm-hmm. I did. Did you experience any like intimidation by the other candidates or being really nervous or fearful of entering that sort of space? No, actually. I took my mom with me to every interview I had. I mean, she wanted to go. I didn't like force her or anything. Um, but having her was very comforting. In a way, like I said before, like she's really good at speaking power and words into people. Every time I was with her, like I felt able to do things like I felt like I measured up the imposter syndrome was still there but the voices were just a a lot quieter um, I think when she was around although she hadn't realized it at the time not having mentors put her at a disadvantage that she only came to realize after the fact I mean I would say now looking back understand how important it is to have mentors peer mentors physician mentors all the mentors thinking back to like how I had no mentors then and I thought it was just like well everyone's just doing it this way right I I just feel like I didn't know that making connections and building connections with people so that they can speak highly of you in a room where it matters was important I thought then like you just have to do everything by yourself put your head down stay in your silo and like just work you know things will happen and not that they can't at all you know it helps having people who've been through it and who are in the same field be on your side and give you advice I don't think I realized it was a disadvantage at the time but looking back wow I had no physicians or mentors I was contacting and telling them about my process at all just kind of doing it alone so speaking to the pre-medical students that are listening to this right now or watching what would you tell them to help correct that problem and Mm. not be as disadvantaged you don't have to do this alone i feel like being first gen anything for whatever reason it's very difficult to ask for help and i think it's because of our experiences in our environment i saw my mom do everything by herself like well that's just how it's gonna be for me you know you gotta ask for help ask people to mentor you ask people to be your mentor if you look up to someone contact them DM them, you see someone that is cool on Twitter, who's a doctor, who's a resident, DM them, ask for their phone number, have a conversation with them. The amount of advice you can get from people who are walking through the places that you want to be in is like absolutely invaluable. That's something I'm learning right now. Medicine in this process is so vast and wild and crazy. Like you can't just do it by yourself, even though you're used to doing things that way. You've got to ask for help. This is specific to BIPOC and DEI students, and Mm -hmm. I didn't know if you wanted to touch on that, Mm -hmm. but do you have any advice specific to people of color, students of color? Yeah. Just to give some backstory, I grew up in an area where I was like one of three people in a classroom at all times who looked like me. And at the time, I didn't know any different. So it was a very normal thing to me. Like it wasn't something that I felt like held me back, but it wasn't until coming to medical school and realizing how important it is to have a community of people who do look like you around you. And not to say that you can't have communities of people who don't look like you. All of my friends look differently, but it is important to have a community of people who understand your experience. That is so, 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 so important. And that wasn't something I realized until this past summer doing the Rankin scholarship program um, in DC. It just felt like, oh, wow, I don't have to explain my experience to people. We all just kind of get it. And that feeling was just so nice. I mean, we also talk about it today, like how nice it was. 
it was just something I'd never experienced before. It's not just me, you know? It was so thankful for that scholarship program. The takeaway is have people around you who have experienced the same things that you have in life. I think that's super important. And to also have people who haven't experienced the same things you have. It's great to be friends with people from all walks of life and all backgrounds. I think a community where you don't have to explain yourself as much and you have people who can just listen and who get it is essential for mental health and just everything. It's a game changer. What advice did you receive during all of your schooling, undergrad, master's, or while supplying to med school that was integral to your path? Staying curious. We've all heard it. The lifelong learner. <laughs> That's feel, but it's so true. The quicker you make that an inherent part of who you are to where like it doesn't feel like this thing outside of yourself to like inherently be curious about things and to want to know how things work or why things are a certain way, I think makes things so much easier in the long run. Building your curiosity muscle, so to speak, I think is something that has carried throughout all of my educational and academic experiences. So reflecting on what you learned and experienced in medical school, what is something that you wish you had known or had knowledge of prior to entering? The first thing that popped into my head when you said that was like, now as a third year, we're both third years and we're figuring out what we want to do, what specialty we want to go into. We're going to be fourth years when this comes out. Oh, geez. Yeah, fourth years on a ways by, oh my goodness. And as a uh, third year medical student who's interested in orthopedics, I really wish I had more knowledge about that beforehand. I think it would have been really helpful to have a mentor, to have mentors, to be in some sort of program that would have the pipeline, so to speak, like being guided more. But how can you know what you want to do? That's also such a like nebulous thing to say, but it would have been helpful to have already been interested in something or in a certain specialty before medical school. Because right now, applying to orthopedics, I don't feel lost because I have great mentors, but there's a part of me that feels a little bit of an imposter syndrome. It's just like, gosh, I should have been preparing for this in undergrad. And I feel like no matter what specialty I would have picked, I probably would have felt that way. Being part of some sort of program would have been more focused and helped guided me towards a certain something. So you're applying orthopedics. Yeah, I'm applying orthopedics. So you came in like a blank slate, like you didn't know. Yes. What shaped you towards orthopedics? I did not want to admit this to myself at the time, but during first year, during our MSK unit, I loved that unit. So I had a second year mentor my first year, and I remember him saying, after unit one, just make sure you prepare really well for the anatomy in unit two. And so that's what I did. I would start studying the muscles two weeks before we hit them in class. And I think because of that, it felt manageable. I feel like I got to like enjoy it more. I prepared for there to be like a lot of anatomy, a lot of memorization. Yeah, I loved, I loved, loved, loved that unit. At the time, I was like, maybe I can do something with surgery. No, 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 no way. No way. I can't be a surgeon. There's no way. There's no way that I am meant to be a surgeon. Why do you think that was? I don't know. It just seemed unattainable for whatever reason. That's too far-fetched. Like, there's no way you're going to make the scores or there's no way you're going to get the letters or the, you know, whatever. It's all a mental game. It really is. Finding ways to quiet down those voices and to have people around you who can speak words and power into you. And, you know, it's, it's not like I think, oh, yeah, I'm going to be an orthopedic surgeon. Like, you know, that is not at all like how I feel even still. The imposter syndrome is a little better, and I feel like I know how to control it. 
it's very much like the same kind of mindset. Hey, we're going to put everything we have into this and we're going to go for it and have no regrets. And if it works out, freaking sick. But if it doesn't, we did all that we could and I have no regrets about it. And it, so yeah, orthopedics, because I loved unit two and because of the rank and scholarship program, truly did not officially have the courage to say I wanted to apply orthopedics until that program. And one of my greatest mentors, Dr. Marvin Dingle, he's uh, doing his hand fellowship at Carolina's Medical Center right now. He's been my one of my biggest mentors. I mean, he's a, he's a non-traditional medical student. You know, at the time he was in the Navy. It was just like, hey, we need people that look like you in orthopedic surgery. And I feel like I had never heard that before because there are so many people who don't look like me in orthopedic surgery. You know, like, you know, you can't you can't be what you can't see. Like, and I know that's very, you know, that's a saying, but it, it really is true. Like, I really did feel that way. Now, there's no way that this is for me. Like, you're in over your head. But yeah, having people who speak words into you of power is so important. It's been essential for my journey. That's for sure. I definitely would not be on this path otherwise. What resources do you think would be most beneficial for students applying for this upcoming application cycle? May, June 2024 when we graduate. I don't know what the landscape looks like now, to be honest. I'm sure it's changed since we've applied, but I think what would be important is mentorship. Mentorship, mentorship, mentorship. That is one of the biggest factors in getting to the places, getting to sit at the tables that you want to sit at, is having mentors and people who can go into a room and speak on your behalf. That's important. And that was something that I did not have when I was in undergrad or in my master's program or on my journey. And that's so important. Find a mentor, find someone who you confide in, who knows you, who can speak on your behalf. That's that's huge. Is there anything else that you'd like to add to your story or anything you'd like to tell the audience? Any statements you'd like to make? Anything at all? Just go for it. Just do it. Even though medical school has been hard and like has been a huge test. I can't really see myself doing anything else. At the time, like I was two years out of grad school applying to medical school and was like, oh, am I going to be too old for this? I'm going to be 28 by the time I graduate or like things like that. Just go for it because time is going to pass no matter what. So you might as well be doing something, going for a career that is going to bring you fulfillment no matter how old you are, whether you're 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. You only live one life. Just go for it. What has been your most enjoyable moment of medical school so far? Third year has been a lot of fun, though it can be tiring at times, you know, having to work and then also come home and study. It's just been so rewarding to hear people like give you feedback like, oh, wow, you're going to be a great doctor. You know, I'm sure they say it to every medical student who walks into the room, but it's just so nice to hear. Oh, thank you. It makes you believe it, too. Like, hey, maybe I am like doing all right. But yeah, third year has been super rewarding and it's been cool to like actually do all the things I've been reading in books for the past two years. Like to actually like be able to like feel useful and and do something with my hands. And yeah, third year has been very rewarding and just the friends you meet along the way. Like this journey means nothing if you're not enjoying yourself as much as possible. I mean, you can't always enjoy yourself in medical school. I don't think that's possible. There are going to be some times that are kind of tough and rough, but like what was the point of all this if you come out of it with no friends and because your head was in the library and in a cubicle and siloed your entire four years? Though it's tough 
go out and make those experiences. Go out and hang out with friends after a test. Enjoy yourself as much as you can at the same time because it's about the journey, not always necessarily the destination. That about wraps us up. If you want to share your social media handles, if <laughs> young impressionable pre-meds want to follow you, where can they find you? Um, you guys can find me on Twitter at Desiree Ojo, which is my name, at D-E-S-I-R-E-E ojo on twitter follow me i'll follow you back dm me if you have any questions if you need a mentor i can help you in any way that you need me to or point you in the direction to someone who can i'm rooting for all of y'all dm me let me know like she said throughout the podcast mentorship is important so if you have any questions for student dr ojo you can find her on twitter at desiree ojo or on instagram We will also put her handles in the show notes below. Finally, please send good vibes and wish her luck in applying for orthopedic surgery for the 2024 match. Thank you for tuning into OBH. If you liked today's podcast, please give us a review, subscribe on your podcast app of choice, and follow us on social media. You can find OBH everywhere at OBH underscore okay but how. If you have questions, comments, or an idea for future topics, check out the show notes about how to get connected. Thanks again for listening to OBH.